right at the Welcome Center. So we invite, of course, all of our children that are interested to go to Children's Church. I know they're going to have a great time there this morning. While they're getting assembled, I want to encourage you to turn in your copy of God's Word to the last book of your Bible, the book of the Revelation, chapter 1. It'll be on the screen here in just a moment as well if you need that. Revelation chapter 1, and we'll pick up reading in verse 9. Thank you, Marty. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, choir, for leading us in worship this morning. I'm grateful to report to you today that there is hope, help, and healing in the name of Jesus. Amen. There's still power in the precious blood of the Lamb. In just a moment, we're going to read together Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, as we've been telling you for a few weeks that we would begin a new series today on the seven churches of the Revelation. Today, we will begin with an overview of those seven churches, and then over the next seven weeks, Lord willing, we will do an analysis of each one of those churches and see what the Lord Jesus has to say and how you and I must respond to what he has to say to his church. Amen? You will read over the next few weeks the last words Jesus ever recorded to the church. Some people think his last words were Acts 1-8 where he said you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you and be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. But his actual final words to the church are found in chapter 3 where he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. So we're going to be talking about those things over the next several weeks. And I want to encourage you as I said in the welcome today, please listen aggressively, have the, your ears and eyes of your heart open today to receive the word of God that as you receive the word, we might respond appropriately to the word of God today. If you found your place and physically able, would you stand with me and honor and reverence to the reading of the word of God, Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading there in verse 9. Notice with me, if you would, what the word of God says. It says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet say, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about his chest with a golden band. His head and hair were uh, like wool, as white as snow and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as refined in a furnace and his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. His countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. 
When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Write these things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you see are the seven churches. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word today. I pray, Father, you help me to articulate what you have taught me in preparation to stand before your people today. I hold in my hand your word. I stand before your people whom you love so much. And God, I pray today we'd handle both accordingly. Lord, may lives be changed as a result of hearing the word of God today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Revelation chapter 1, verse 11 the Apostle John addresses seven distinct congregations that were present in Western Asia Minor, which is today modern-day Turkey. He did this near the end of the first century, and each one of these congregations was unique in their circumstances, their situation, and their overall spiritual chemistry, just as local congregations are today. However, John addresses them in the same way, and the Holy Spirit led him to address them in the same method. I want you to notice on your screen today, this is the way that he addressed them. First, he began with a word of commendation. He commended them for something that they were doing well. This was his method of addressing the church. After they received a word of commendation, they were followed by a word of criticism. A word of criticism was not meant to just point out error, but was in the spirit of not pointing it out, but to help them see where they were lacking and see their need for change. After a word of commendation and criticism, most of the letters were followed by a word of correction. It's much like biblical preaching that we learn from the apostle uh, Paul as he wrote to Timothy. We reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine means we rebuke, point out error, we reprove, we point out error with the intent to correct the behavior, and then we exhort, we encourage with all long-suffering and doctrine. So there's a word of commendation, there's a word of criticism, and there's a word of correction, and then they end with a word of challenge. A word of challenge to be able to help them see where they can be and what could happen should they surrender to the Lord. Now I'm going to leave those up just for a minute as we move on because this, it's important to understand that their geographical location was very important due to their very close proximity to the city of Ephesus which will be the first church we talk about next week. It was a major city in the province of Asia during this time period and that is very important to the writing. The churches were also located on a major postal route. And that postal route and travel route went through these areas. The messages that they received have a word of wisdom and application for all churches, not just in the 21st century, but throughout all history until Jesus comes again. 
So that was his method, a word of commendation, a word of criticism, a word of correction, and a word of challenge. Let me move to the next thing. I learned from Dr. Henry Blackaby some things I think we need to talk about as we set the foundation for this series, and that is the purposes of the church. Now, we know that Heflin Baptist Church, we've determined that we exist, share God's word, show God's love, and seeing God's people. We are to declare the word of God, we are to demonstrate the love of God, and we are to deploy the people of God. Amen? But the purpose of the church I learned from Dr. Blackaby was really good. He said this about uh, the church. He said, when churches forsake God's purposes, they invite God's judgment. Wow, what a tough word. But there are three things you need to see real quick, and we're going to move quickly today, so y'all stay with me. Purpose of the church, one is to glorify God. We read about that in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, where he says he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. Let me share a couple of things with you from Dr. Blackaby that really spoke to me on this subject. He said the ultimate purpose of every Christian is to glorify God. There is no higher calling. Wow. He said the keys to glorifying God are first to love God and second to serve God God's way. Every church must ask the pivotal question, are we bringing glory to God by our actions? And if not, Repentance is in order. He said, any church that is not exalting Christ by its behavior has lost its reason to exist. God help us. It's been said many people talk about churches dying and at the rate that they are. And the truth of the matter is something I heard years ago from a very wise man. He said this, he said, churches don't die. It is God's voice that dies in the church means God's no longer allowed to speak, so we speak for him what we want to say instead of what he says, and death is the result. The church is to glorify God. There's a second purpose of the church, and that is to make disciples. You know the Great Commission very well. Go therefore in all the world and make disciples. It's the only imperative we have in the Great Commission. Dr. Blackaby said this, he said, churches are not simply to make converts, they are to make disciples. And disciples are not people who merely believe in Christ, they are people who follow Christ. There's a difference between knowing about him in your head and embracing his truth in your heart and following him with your life. He said, God designed churches to be world mission strategy centers. And I truly believe, regardless of your size, regardless of the size of your congregation, the size of your budget or anything else, you need to be developing a ministry that is touching the world from the front door across the street and around the world. And there's a third purpose, and that is to preserve and bless their communities. Uh, here's what Dr. Blackwood said. He said, salt prevented valuable food items from rotting. Likewise, Jesus said to Christians, you are to act like a preserving agent to your community. I've told you this before, and I know some of you embrace it, maybe you don't, but I want you to know it's true. In the 21st century, churches must not view their pastors as chaplains. They must view their pastor as a missionary to the community. Not just to their congregation, but to go touch the lives of people beyond the walls and that way energize and impact and equip other people to do the same. 
Amen? It's very important we understand that. He said, evil constantly tries to snuff out the light and leave this world in shadows, yet wherever a light shines brightly, darkness disappears. How important is it preserving and blessing your community? Well, Proverbs 11.10 says this, where the righteous thrive, the city rejoices. I believe where the righteous are actively doing the work of God, we can be agents of bringing joy to a city that needs Jesus so desperately. I've had people tell me before, said, Preacher, most everybody in Cleveland County, good old folks, they all going to heaven. I'm serious. And I do know a lot of wonderful people, don't you? All of y'all, right? Amen. I do know a lot of wonderful people. I know a lot of wonderful, but I want to tell you this, friend. Being a good person doesn't get you to heaven. Doing good works doesn't get you to heaven. You don't do good works to get to heaven. As a child of God who has been bought with the blood and confessed your sin and repented, you do good works because you're headed to heaven. You want people to see the change that Jesus made in your life so that they'll want to have a relationship with God like you do. Amen. So I believe it's important. Let me give you one final thing from Dr. Blackwood and I'll move on. He said there are churches that could shut down today and their community would never know they were gone. You remember when I first came here and I told you we're going to live to be missed? Some of you say, what in the world is he talking about? We want to live in such a way and have such an impact for the glory of God that if this church was no longer in this community, folks would come hunting us down. Amen? It's important we understand that. Nothing in the, here's what Blackaby goes on to say, nothing in the neighborhood would change or the city would change. He said, that's tragic. God intends for local churches to be such a blessing to their community that even unbelievers would be saddened if they had to relocate or close their doors. That even the unbelieving world would say, hey, what are we going to do? Friend, I want to tell you, that's the kind of impact God wants us to have. That's the purpose. Well, let's move back to the text for a minute. In chapter 1, as the scene unfolds, John has been exiled to Patmos. He probably feels like he's been forgotten, but God's about to use him to write his greatest work. And when he does, he begins to see some things, and there are two distinct words that capture our attention, and I don't want you to miss these. The first word is the word voice. He said he was in the spirit. You know what that meant? He was full of joy, full of Jesus, and he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. The first day of the week, Sunday, the day you're in today, right? He was in the spirit, in the Lord's presence on the Lord's day. And what did he do? He heard a voice, and the voice did not suggest to him to get out his pencil. The voice did not say it'd be a good idea if you take a few notes. The voice commanded him to write to these churches, these specific churches. And this is the first of 12 times where John is commanded to write what he will see revealed in the book of Revelation, 12 times, the word voice. But notice the second word is the word vision. Beginning in verse 12, John begins to document what he sees. And boy, what a vision he saw, amen? 
Uh, we read in Isaiah, me and Bobby were talking about it before Sunday school. In Isaiah, we see Isaiah's vision of the Lord and the temple high and lifted up and the angels and flying around and covering their face with wings. And it's kind of a blurred, not a real clear, vivid vision, but when you get to Revelation chapter one, you get a real crystal clear picture of what Jesus looks like, amen? But notice what he says. He notices seven golden lampstands and according to verse 20, they are identified as the seven churches. These lampstands symbolize the churches to be lights of God and of the word of God in a world of darkness by the indwelling presence of the Spirit. These lampstands were made of gold, which is very important because gold was the most valuable metal available. It also symbolized the value of the church in the eyes of God. You've heard me say this before when I talk to you as a church. I say, God's revealed to me, preacher, there's some gold in them there pews, amen? That's not talking about what you got in your pocketbook or your bank account. That's talking about the giftedness with which God has placed in you. You are golden, you are a masterpiece, you are his workmanship, you are precious to him as his child, amen? So in the midst of these seven lampstands was one like the Son of God, amen? Kind of like the fiery furnace. There he is again, right? These words remind us that the Lord Jesus is not only present among his churches, he's active and moving among the people that he's redeemed by his blood on the cross. Here's something that John MacArthur said. He said, Christians do not worship a well-meaning martyr. Let that sink in for a minute. We do not worship a well-meaning martyr or a dead, heroic religious leader. The living Christ indwells his church to lead and empower it. Now just let this sink in for a minute. Not some heroic, well-meaning martyr or a dead religious leader. We are serving the Lord Jesus. He said believers personally and collectively have the inestimable privilege of drawing on that power through the continual communion with him. Well, we could park there for about 15 minutes, couldn't we? And just think about the goodness of God. But in verses 13 through 15 of chapter 1, John gives us a vivid description of the clothing of the Lord Jesus, his physical features and his voice. He said his voice sounded like the sound of many waters or the sound of rushing waters. His voice has been and will always be the voice of supreme authority and power in this world. John not only saw those lampstands, but he also saw seven stars. You need to know what they are. These seven stars are identified as the angels of the seven churches. And you say, wait a minute, I know what angels are, yeah? But I don't think he's referring to angels in the sense of what we understand them to be. Angels are real. Angels are created beings. They are not redeemed beings like you and I as children of God. They never know what it means to sin or to be forgiven of sin. They have a specific place in the work of God. You will never become one. I hear this in funerals all the time and I just want to just stand up and say, that's not true. Y'all ever want to do that? They say, you know, we've got a new angel in the choir or you gain your wings. You're, you, you, that's not, no, 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 listen to me. You're more precious than that. I didn't think mean to say this, but I just got to, listen. You are of more value than that. 
Jesus didn't go to the cross for the angels. He went to the cross for you. <laughs> and the angels, they just desire to look into the tight relationship we have with God. I'm not going to be an angel in the choir. I'm going there as a citizen of the city. I'm going to live with the Lord Jesus and worship him forever. I'm not going to be an angel. I'll never have wings. Help us. Hey, let's get our doctrine straight, church. Let's help people understand. It doesn't mean it's bad that you want. Well, I wanted to be an angel. Too bad you're getting something better than that. It's kind of like when I was making my coffee the other morning. Did y'all see my picture? Some of you did. It's okay. You're not unspiritual if you saw my picture on social media. I do it for fun, informative inspirational encouraging things I do not engage in political arguments or anything I do not say bad things about people and if you say something bad about me you will get no response <laughs> but I was making my coffee Marty they got this new Kramer makes a fat boy happy <laughs> it's Snickers Kramer <laughs> Woo! now we about to have church up in this house right so I took a picture because I said, Lord, could this please be on the breakfast table in glory? <laughs> and as I talk with the Lord, you know, in communing with God, that means I talk and I listen. That means he listens and he talks. And when he talks, I listen. And I really, I believe I heard the voice of God. He said, son, go ahead and enjoy it down here. I got something a whole lot better for you up there. This might be good enough for your house. You ain't seen what I got at my house. Amen. <laughs> Woo. So go out today, get you some Snickers coffee creamer. Jim Tullis is fussed about it, but it's just Jim. He'll be all right, right? <laughs> now Angie's more spiritual than me. She uses the Cold Stone sweet cream. And once you've been to Cold Stone, you know I've told you, you'll never go to Dairy Queen again. You just can't take it. <laughs> now listen. It's not angels that fly around with wings. These, this word in the original Greek is better translated messenger. That's what it means. And here's what the seven stars are. The seven stars are seen to be in the hand of Christ. And because they're in the hand of Christ and they're a messenger, they're most likely referring to the pastor or the elder of those churches. He's got something to say to them. See, John called it a mystery in verse 20, which indicates a truth which may not be discerned by intellectual deduction or inquiry, but can only be discerned by direct spiritual revelation from God. You don't understand the mystery with your own intellect. God has to intervene. God has to give discernment for you to understand. So our Lord has a word for the church. He has a word for the first century church. And it is a word that is still speaking to the 21st century church. So here's what I'm going to do. And I need you to listen fast, okay? We're fixing to kick it into fifth gear overdrive here, okay? Somebody said, I thought you was already there. No, we're just warming up, sisters. Listen. I'm going to walk through these churches real quickly and I want to give you a snapshot. Now look, we're going to come back each week, talk about each one in depthly. 
But I'm going to give you a snapshot. We're going to talk about commendation, criticism, correction, and challenge, okay? Number one, Ephesus. What was the word of commendation? Well, they were a church that was hardworking. They had a lot of patience. They were committed to the truth. And they tested the false teachers. That was the word of commendation. But what was their criticism? Criticism was they left their first love. And you might want to make sure you highlight that in your Bible. Their commitment to the work and serve could not cause them to lose their proper motivation for service. That's what they were allowing to happen. They were getting so busy working for God, they stopped working with God. Okay? So what is the correction? The correction was you need to remember who you once were. Remember where you come from. Repent and return to your first love. So there was a word of commendation. There was a word of criticism. There was a word of correction. But then there was a word of challenge. And here's what God said to them. Your lampstand will be removed. It means you will cease to exist unless you repent. That's the church at Ephesus. Let me move to Smyrna real quickly. I know I'll go fast, but like I said, don't panic. We'll come back here in a weeks and you're going to get plenty. Smyrna had a word of commendation from the Lord. They were hardworking. They persevered in tribulation. They remained faithful in poverty. It means even when they didn't have much, they kept giving. They gave not just of their ability, but beyond their ability. They were commended of God. What is the word of criticism for Smyrna? This is something to know. There was no words of criticism recorded to the church of Smyrna. I know you're thinking right now, we need to be that church. Well, hold on. What was their correction? Well, there was no correction needed because there was no criticism recorded. <clears throat> so what was their challenge? Do not fear and remain faithful unto death and do not become complacent. Even though there was no word of criticism, the Holy Spirit led John to remind them that they were one step away from being complacent. And the third church is the church at Pergamos. What was the word of commendation? Well, they were loyal. They were faithful to Christ regardless of what it cost them. <clears throat> they had a good testimony. But what was the word of criticism? Even though they had a good testimony, they still had issues. The criticism was is that they tolerated false teachers who practiced idolatry and promoted immorality within the church. You say, how could that happen? Just hold on. Then notice the correction. If that's going on, they needed to repent and they needed to do it fast. If they did not, they would face the judgment of God on the church. And then what's the word of challenge for that church? Was that those who overcome will be fed and forgiven. The fourth church is the church at Thyatira. A word of commendation for the church was that they were faithful to love and serve. They had a commitment to continual spiritual growth. But there was a word of criticism from the Lord. They tolerated pagan practices within their church. They had justified false teaching within their church which led to idolatry among the people. What was the word of correction? Just simply repent and do it quickly. Then there was a the word of challenge. Hold fast and remain faithful and receive power over the nations. Then there's the fifth church, the church at Sardis. Sardis was commended for their faithfulness of the few. 
Sometimes you say, well, we might be faithful, but we're just a few. Thank God for the few. Somebody with me? Amen. <clears throat> Not only that word of commendation, but notice the word of criticism. They had a name or a reputation, if you will, of being alive when in reality they were spiritually dead. The correction was this. Be watchful or vigilant. Strengthen those that remain faithful. Remember where you came from and repent. And then there's a word of challenge that the faithful saints would realize that they can walk with God on earth with a promise of eternity with him. And then the sixth church is the church at Philadelphia <coughs> who had a word of commendation from the Lord because they were faithful to the word of God and the son of God. Boy, I want that to be us, don't you? But they had no real criticism but if you look close at the text, you'll know there was a hint of criticism. The only thing to note about it was in chapter 3, verse 8, they are characterized as having a little strength. However, they were faithful and growing spiritually in the eyes of God, and they were examples of others through their faithfulness. What was the need for correction? There is none recorded for the church at Philadelphia. And then there's a word of challenge that you will hold fast to what you have, chapter 3, verse 11. He said there's an open door been set before you. Your enemies will be in subjection to you. They will be kept safe from the great tribulation and be eternally secure in the presence of God in his holy city. And then there's that final church, the one we're all too familiar with, the church at Laodicea. Unlike any of the other churches, all the other churches had some words of commendation. Laodicea received none. The Holy Spirit had nothing good to say about them. But they were criticized. They were criticized for what? They were criticized for being lukewarm. They were neither hot or cold. They were living in self-sufficiency. <clears throat> they were focused on obtaining more earthly wealth they had lost their identity, their love, and their faithfulness. They had no clear relationship with Christ, and they overestimated their status before God. That is a danger, church, to get to thinking too much of yourself in the eyes of God. What is the correction? That they would repent they would seek after genuine spiritual riches instead of the temporal things of this earth, of the material things. They would need to repent with a hot-hearted zeal which was the only cure for their spiritual sickness. What was their challenge? The final words of Christ to his church or his final words to the church in Scripture, chapter 3, verses 20 through 22. There is a promise for them to claim if they follow his words and repent before him. <clears throat> so when we evaluate the Lord's message to these churches, sometimes when we walk through all of that and we see all of the commendation, criticism, challenge, and, and, and all the things that are before us, we feel like we need to just stop taking a nap, don't we? It's a lot to take in. However, we can't just read it and not be affected by it. We can't just read it and not feel compelled to do something about it. 
I believe this with all of my heart. Y'all remember we talked about Chamberlain in the Civil War? How when Chamberlain, the Union uh, general, was surrounded by all of these Confederates and they had outnumbered him tremendously. He was down to just barely, literally a handful of people and he didn't know what else to do and he stood high on the bank in the middle of all that and made himself vulnerable, made himself a target and he yelled out the word we know well, charge. When it was all over and he was interviewed after his handful of Union soldiers defeated this this large, large Confederate army which was a turning point in the Civil War. He said, how did you do it? He said, I had deep within me the inability to do nothing. I like that, don't you, Marty? He said, I had deep within me the inability to do nothing. You know what he said? I couldn't see the situation and just do nothing. Here's what he went on to say. He said, I was not going to die with a bullet in my back. So when we hear things like this from God's word, we are God's soldiers. We are a part of his army in the world that is not just on defense. We're on offense. We, we know the snap count. <laughs> We know when the ball's gonna be snapped. We know, we know where the play is going. We have the formation. We just gotta execute. And we must have within ourselves the deep inability to do nothing and stop being content to die with the bullets in our back. So, here's what I think. I want God's put in my heart about this. If any church is going to be right with God, I wrote this this week, and if any church is going to finish faithful, it has to start with the pastor. So you know what I must do and what I have done as I prepare to speak to you today in these next several weeks? I've laid before the Lord as David did in Psalm 139 and I have investigated the all-seeing, clear and holy eyes and hands of God into my heart and life to search me and try me and if there's any wicked way in me let's get it out so here's where I want to finish today I have no problem asking you to surrender and make a commitment to God but I want to give you mine okay this is what God's put in my heart I wrote it this week because I, I was like God I, I can't just die with a bullet in my back I've never been one to do that anyhow, and I'm sure not going to start, even though I'm not as swift as I once was, and I've never been swift anyhow, amen? What are y'all laughing about? <laughs> no. Here's my commitment to you. I got three things. Here's my commitment to you, okay? Before I ask for a commitment from you, I'm going to give you my commitment to you. How's that, amen? First thing God put in my heart this week, my commitment to you is one to is to commit to being a praying pastor. Not just a pastor who prays, but a praying pastor. There is a difference in the key. A pastor who prays is good and all that, but a praying pastor, that means that it is the navigating instrument of my life. I read something Francis Chan said in his book, Letters to the Churches, and here's what he said. 
It's one of those things too. You say, well, I've read Francis Chan. I don't agree with everything he says. That's okay. I may not agree with everything you say. You may not agree with everything I say. It's okay if we agree to disagree, but we don't need to be disagreeable. Amen. I read a lot of people. I've read about 10 sources prepared to speak to you today. You know why? Because you've got to milk a lot of cows if you're going to churn good butter. Amen. But here's what Francis Chan said. He said, prayer is not merely a task of ministry. It's a gauge that expresses our heart's condition. It unveils our pride, showing us whether or not we believe we are powerless apart from God. You know the reason some of you don't pray? You haven't figured out yet. You are powerless before God. He said this, when we pray, it is an expression of surrender to God and reliance on his infinite wisdom and sovereignty. I say amen to that statement, amen? But I don't want to just be just a praying pastor as important as that is. That's why I listen to the first. Here's my second commitment to you is I want to be an equipping pastor. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, here's what the Bible tells us the work of ministry is, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That is the number one important goal requirement for a pastor to fulfill is to equip saints for the work of the ministry. Francis Chan goes on to say this. One of the most debilitating issues facing the church today is a lack of maturing members. Let me just be honest with you. It ain't just you. It's in every church across America today. So many of God's people are stuck. I knew that would go over the resounding amens. You know why we're stuck? Because we're okay with it. We've got to a point. I mean, we're, we're, we're Baptists. We believe the Bible. Amen? We're closer than anybody else under the sun, right? We thank God for eternal security, don't you? I thank God for the doctrine of eternal security, but I'll tell you something. God did not save you to sit soaking sour. He saved you to serve. And you, he did, if he saved you and all he was going to do was save you and that be over, he just took you to heaven the moment he saved you. But he left you here for a purpose and that's to make an investment in the world to help bring other people to faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? No, no. We don't mind being stuck because that's a comfortable place. We're not affecting culture. Nobody's making fun of us. Nobody's calling us names and all kind of stuff. So we, it's a real safe place just to get stuck. I don't know about you. I never liked getting stuck. I grew up over here close to the pipeline, and I cannot tell you how many times I've been stuck. <laughs> now, look here. These guys get stuck now, Joseph. They got equipment. They got jacks, they got We got sticks. We dug ourselves out with sticks. And you know what? That's the most frustrating thing is to be stuck. And you know what? My cousins, they were all older than me. So I was the guy who had to stand by the wheel and, and, and kind of get them out while they were mashing the gas and soaking me. I don't like being stuck. You shouldn't be content to be stuck. He said churches are filled with children who never grow up to become spiritual parents and they're not expected to. Many pastors expect their members to sit under their teaching until they die. Rather than training to equip others, Paul was clear that church leaders are to equip the saints for the work. I'm committed to being a praying pastor. This is my commitment to you. I am committed to being a equipping pastor from this pulpit and any other place God would get me. And from my office to the classroom or out here on the street corner, we want to equip people to do the work. But here's the final thing, and I'm done. I make a real clear commitment to you to be a missional, a kingdom pastor. 
Last Sunday morning, Angie will tell you, every Sunday morning, my good buddy Greg Bentley, who is associational missionary down in Ludowisi, Georgia, way down yonder below Savannah. Me and Greg went to New Orleans Seminary together. We had a lot in common because Angie's daddy laid bricks, so I was around him a lot. <laughs> Some of the low points in my life. <laughs> Laying bricks and, I, and pushing wheelbarrows of mud and all this kind of stuff. That's why I said when I'd go to football workouts after doing that all day, it was like a vacation. And, uh, but Greg's daddy laid bricks and blocks, so me and him had a lot in common, and we talked a lot about those things. And he's a pastor for many years. And every Sunday morning, Angie, I tell the truth, without fail, He's on Georgia time. I need to get him to put me on a different time. But about 5.30 on Sunday morning, I try to sleep in all the way to 6 on Sunday. I get up 5 during the week. Try to get by about 5.30, my phone will go ding. And I look over her and say, Greg Bentley. And I roll over and Greg sends me stuff. He sent me something last week I had to put in the file because, man, he's just, he's just awesome. But it wasn't for last week, but it's for this week be a missional pastor. Here's what Greg sent me. It was a quote from a guy named Kevin Barnes I've never met, Move the Mountain Ministry. Here's what he said. A religious pastor keeps you busy within the walls of the church while a kingdom or a missional pastor trains, equips, and deploys you outside the church to transform your community and nation. I've met a whole lot of religious pastors in my time who wanted to have the biggest church, wanted to have the nicest facilities, wanted everything to be about them, and wanted everybody to put them on a pedestal. I've met those guys. But he said, a religious pastor, it's all about keeping you busy in these four walls. But a mission or kingdom pastor says, hey, let's do this. Let's train and equip the people and let's deploy them outside the walls so they make a difference in our community and our nation. So that's the commitment I'm making to you today. But here's what I got to ask you. What kind of commitment are you going to make to God today? What do you need to surrender to God so that you can get on with it? What do you need to surrender to God so you can quit being stuck? And let me ask you this. What's keeping you from making that decision? Stop. When I was a younger pastor, I used to hate silence. I was so afraid silence meant that, oh Lord, I'm I'm failing. But I've learned that silence has its place when we come face to face with the Word of God and the Son of God and we are moved to make a decision for God. What do you need to surrender? What do you need to give to God so you can get unstuck and move on? And then lastly, what's keeping you from it? Well, I've got other commitments, really. They'll go away soon. Well, I've got this and I've got that. Oh, that's fine. But if there's anybody or anyone more important to you than your relationship with God, then you have God in the wrong place as well as the other person or thing you put in his place. What do you need to surrender? What's keeping you from it? Pray with me.
Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you for your word today, Lord. Lord, I know we covered a lot of material in a short time. But God, I really believe you have a word for us today. Help me to fulfill my commitment, my surrender to you and to my church family to be a praying pastor, to be an equipping pastor, and to be a missional kingdom pastor. Help us, God, to equip people to touch the world. But God, we know that will not reach its full potential or capacity until we repent. Lord, I just repented this week and I do before my church family of just sometimes get so busy. Sometimes get in a hurry. Sometimes feel strangled of the responsibilities, but God, I know I'm in a room full of people who have some of the same struggles. They're busy. They got a lot of noises and static and they got a lot of people and voices competing for their attention and sometimes God if we're not careful it just drowns you out we stop hearing you and we get stuck God help us to get unstuck today I pray it in Jesus name amen and amen let's stand to our feet now hear me church this invitation time is a great opportunity for us to begin in this journey together and say God wherever I'm stuck where my brother's stuck help me get unstuck son help my brother my sister help my church help my community but I believe we're standing on the very threshold of the greatest impact that we could have ever have in our community and around this part of the world and beyond. We're seeing God do amazing things with a small county seat town church. Seems insignificant, but here's what's making the difference is our significance is not in who we are, but who he is. So I want to invite you, church, hear me. I want to invite you on this invitation to just grab the hand of a brother or sister. Just, just come gather in the altar. Say, oh, God, don't let us get stuck. And if we are stuck, dig us out. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, I'm, I'm here to receive you today. You say, I feel God has spoken to my heart and called me to repentance today. And I want to trust Christ as Savior and be born again. I invite you to come. And any other decisions you need to make as a child of God about your Christian life, you come. Father, in Jesus' name, move mightily among us. You are welcome in this place. Change our hearts. In Christ's name, amen and amen. Marty, lead us when you're ready. You come as God speaks to your heart, church. Let's make us our prayer this morning. I need every hour. Oh,
singing. I want to do that chorus. Let's change one word, Marty. Let's change the I to we. How about that? Amen. Y'all believe we need him? Amen. I do. I'm convinced. I've learned this over my Christian life. He does not need me to carry on his work. He does not need us. He has thousands that's never dropped the knee to bail. Amen. We can't even begin to lift our head without him. We need him. So we're going to change I to we. Marty, can you do that? Can a we die boy do that? All right, all right. Show me how to do it. Let's sing with Marty. seated. Our ushers are coming. As soon as they get assembled, it's a fine group of specimens here. Amen. Love these guys. I tell you, appreciate them so much and uh, they're going to be receiving our morning tithes and offerings. And I want to encourage you to be faithful today as always, church. He's called us to a great work, hasn't he? Great work calls for great surrender and great sacrifice on the part of God's people. So as we give today, let's give from our hearts to the Lord and trust God to do greater things with it than we ever thought possible because he's using his people and I'm just glad to be in it on it, aren't you? So let's join our hearts together and ask God to bless our giving today.
falls down covers me. Amen. Thank you so much for that. I could sit there and listen to that a long time, Terry. Maybe need to get you to make me a CD to soothe me. You know, YouTube has a soothing video where you can listen to piano for a long time. Soothing sounds of Terry. Yeah, it'll probably turn into the sleepy, snoring sounds of Brent. <laughs> but yeah. hey, uh, thank God we were able to worship today. Amen. Don't forget this week, pretty much there's still plenty of posters for you to take for Gridiron Night. Take and put out wherever you need. Please do take those, get those all over this week. We're going to finish getting out the rest of it. We want you to help us. So there's plenty uh, for pick up from the Welcome Center, maybe some out front also. Pray much for the week ahead. Don't forget Wednesday night adults will be in the fellowship hall. So remember that if you get to hunting us, we'll have somebody up here in case you miss us. And then uh, Saturday. Like I said, if you've signed up to help for Gridiron Night, you'll get contacted this week to tell you about setup times and teardown times. That's what you signed up for. And also, if you're a greeter, you'll get contact this week as well. And uh, if you haven't signed up like to, there's still time. It's a great opportunity to fellowship. Doesn't take a long time, and, but it's going to be a great Saturday. I mean, pray much for Brody as he speaks. He's going to be traveling back from a staff retreat from Big Oak. Boys and Girls Ranch, uh, this will come straight to us on his way back and pray for Dalton and the guys as they lead worship. It's going to be a great time. I'm telling you, invite everybody you know this week. It's not just for kids. It's, it's, for, for, every, it's for our community. We really want to see God do something great with that. Amen? And don't forget that I love you. I lost Noah. Where'd Noah go? He done went outside at him. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah, he's had to hurry to get the Cracker Barrel, right? It's... <laughs> I love you, and I want you to always remember there's nothing you can do about it. Amen. Stand together, and Marty's going to sing us out. I'll catch you on the outside.